I'm Kendra Rogers, and this is Paper Napkin. I am so glad you're here. The world felt distant and connection felt hard. So I reached out to the most interesting people I know for a conversation about how we can build stronger connections and more meaningful relationships. Grab a pen, a piece of paper, or a paper napkin and get ready to connect. Delapore is a leadership coach, digital anthropologist, writer, and mom. She's a proponent of adaptive intelligence and an apostle for the importance of emotional intelligence for productivity, happiness, and health. Founder of Halcyon Coaching, Catherine is a thinker, facilitator, builder, and growth maker. I know that's not really a word, but I'm making it one. Catherine is a perfect testament to thriving in times of uncertainty She brings grace, kindness, and authenticity to every connection she makes, and she sees greatness in people and pulls the threads they need to be pulled to see that in themselves. To me, Catherine is special because she takes a wider view than most when it comes to work and life, making ripples across industries and within souls. Catherine, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Thank you, Kendra. And what an introduction. I really appreciate that. All true words, all true words. I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation because we always have really great conversations and because I know that that is not unique to you and I know that you are a connector, you are a person who sees connections in an, in an interesting way and, and builds ideas around those. And I've noticed that from the very first time I saw you speak. So the very first question is what do you do and why? But what I'm really interested about is the why. Hmm. Yeah, I've been giving that some thought. I think when it comes down to it, I champion human potential. I think that's what I do. It is all about potential and we all have potential. Every single human on this planet has enormous potential. And unfortunately for lots of different reasons, not everybody gets to realize their potential. And that makes me feel really sad. Like there's so much untapped potential in the world. I've been thinking about this more and more and actually social justice is very important to me. Leveling, leveling up, I think, is that the political term that they like using now, leveling up. But yeah, I will do, I will try to do everything in my power to give people opportunity and to see their own potential. And I think part of that is about helping people to see their own power and helping people to realize that they do have courage. These are things I'm you know, very interested in, courage. And I hope that I role model to a certain extent. Feel the fear and do it anyway, Kendra, is one of my mantras in life. Let's put it like that. <laughs> that is such a brilliant mantra and I love the idea of being able to see your power and know your courage. I think the piece that you touched on around championing human potential and leveling up and what that looks like is so interesting too because I think we're living in this time where there's a pull between the potential that we all have and those sort of ways of the past or the ways that we used to be. I wonder if you see that pull in the work that you do. Absolutely. We are on this precipice right now. Obviously, we've had a very, very difficult few months with a pandemic. 
and many, many people have suffered and many people are still suffering. And some of us have lost loved ones and it's been incredibly painful for a lot of people. But I think with any human suffering, there is always an opportunity for renewal. We can transcend this point in our human history Look, pandemics have happened all through histories. Human populations have been decimated in the past. We have faced, you could argue, we've probably faced far worse than this, but we generally bounce back. Why do we bounce back? Because humans are highly adaptive. We are very agile. This is in our DNA. It's in our genes. It's in our capability. We are highly creative. Down to our biology and our biochemistry, we are predisposed to succeed and to thrive that's who we are this is one of the reasons that I chose my undergraduate degree which is anthropology and from what we know even today about the human brain what is it we are currently using a, a percentage point of the capability of the human brain we're literally scratching the surface of the human brain and I think back to your original question, Kendra, about what is trapping us, what is stopping us, what assumptions really are we making that are stopping the human race from progressing is all about making sense of our history. It's, it's interesting. My husband's a historian and we were talking uh, the other day and he was reflecting with a friend of mine who's also a, a historian. And she had mentioned to my husband that she'd met a friend of her son's that she's got teenage boys like, like I do. And this one chap had said to her, I don't like history. And she said, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. And she ended up, obviously, this is probably pre-COVID, taking him to various historical sites, different tours. And he turned around to her at the end and said, I, I was wrong about not liking history. Actually, actually history is fascinating. So maybe his particular experience of, of learning history in schools didn't go so well. But the point here is it's all about perspective. You can only have perspective. And what I mean by that is our ability to really have clarity and good judgment on what is going on today and then being able to reflect on what has gone on in the past. History repeating itself is a phrase that gets trotted out all the time. And it's true. We faced this before. We've gone through it. We've gone past it. And we will continue to survive and thrive. And organisations now are at the tipping point and they're going to need to let go of the past in order to be successful. They need to let go of a profit only motive, for example. They need to let go of this idea of power and hierarchies. They need to let go of three stages of your life, for example, education, work, retirement. I'm reading this great book at the moment called The Hundred Year Life and longevity, human longevity and technology is going to utterly transform how we live. So there's a huge amount to look forward to. But we are trapped by unhelpful thinking. We are trapped by our own, we only know what we know. So this idea of, we need to ask, the world needs to ask itself expansive questions in order for everybody to think bigger and to be braver and to think actually there is enough 
to go round. There is enough for everybody to go round. And uh, this idea of sustainable living and the environment and equity for every human, to me, these are significant questions. And I think only together are we going to be able to actually answer these questions in any meaningful way. But that means letting go of the past and letting go of limiting beliefs. This is what coaches do. They unlock limiting beliefs and limiting assumptions. Wow. So many different threads to pull. And I think the idea of of us coming to grips with those expansive questions, what do you think those questions are? Well, I think one of them might be, and this is particularly relevant, I think, for this whole, where we are with the pandemic and organizations in particular thinking about how they're going to come out, emerge from the pandemic and lots and lots of questions and uncertainties about um, what the future of work looks like. So I think one of the questions might be, if you could build a business from the ground up right now, so imagine that nothing has gone before but you can design a business, the perfect business that is going to have all of those ingredients that can unlock human potential, what is the first thing that you would do? And sometimes that's taking away the limits of time. It's taking away the limits of money. Imagine if money was no object, or if I said that you were allowed to fail, what would you do? Moving these barriers that we um, unconsciously put in front of ourselves all of the time. I haven't got enough time. Oh, that would never work because. Dum, dum, dum. Actually, now is the time to, to try something very, very, very different. And I think actually it's also a time for leaders who are willing to not only think for themselves, but also have moral courage. Moral courage. Say more about that. So I think society, certainly in the West, has been divided by the haves and the haves nots. You know, hierarchies, power in the hands of some, but not in the hands of others. A lot of money in the hands of some and and not very much in the hands of others. So there are all of these things in play. And I think moral courage means grasping the equity nettle and thinking in terms of how can we create a fairer world, a world where equity is available to everybody who wants it. I think possibly one of the most important things in regard to equity is health equity, because there's so much measurement that goes on in the world around what is success, what does a successful life look like? And so much of that is measured in financial terms. And actually, a far more interesting measure would be about uh, a healthy, happy life. And there are people in the world, I mean, this this is not unique thinking. People like Jacinta Ahern, for example, in New Zealand, have been an absolute role models for this way of thinking. So she has put human health and well-being at the absolute centre of every single policy decision her government makes. It has to be put through, okay, what impact will this policy have on the mental, the emotional, the physical health of the population? This is really interesting. I think that's moral courage to me because it's standing alone and saying, no one else has done this before, but I'm going to do it. I'm not just going to think about the dollar and the cents. 
the pound and the pence. This is much more interesting. And, and even to the question about success, what is success? I mean, let's face it, if you don't have health, if you don't have good health, you're not in a good place. You can't enjoy life. You can't enjoy family. You can't enjoy other people. So much of life is, there's a requirement there to have good health, good mental health, good emotional health, good physical health. That to me is the measure of success. And as somebody who has had a couple of health uh, scares in my past, I'm here to tell the tale, this is a good thing. I'm even more convinced that health is the most important thing. I know that I've lived through serious illness and come out the other side. So I think that's what's interesting about the future is people's ability to think differently. I, I, I put a post out actually, it was, it's all about thinking in terms of seven generations. And because of my anthropological background, some of the Native American tribes had this belief that again, any decision they made, any in terms of their impact on their local environment, it had to stand up to the test of seven generations. So if we do this, will our great, 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 great grandchildren thank us for it? That's probably not enough greats, <laughs> but that, that, that's what we're talking about here. It's actually thinking about, thinking about the people that are going to be left behind. Can we put our hand on our heart and think that we've made all the right decisions, we've made all the right choices? Unfortunately, there are many of us sitting here, I'm talking about people of my, my generation who probably have... A lot of guilt actually around some of the decisions that have been made in the past. So yeah, I'm convinced that big, audacious thinking outside of the box where leaders have moral courage is going to hopefully dig us out of the hole that we're in right now in terms of the environment and um, other social inequities. I love that idea of thinking seven generations in the future and that we are connected to our own futures, that we are connected to our past, which you touched on initially, and we are connected to our futures. And I think that the, there's such a short-termist approach to the way that we live our lives, especially in the Western cultures, that needs shaken out of. There needs to be that, that shakeup. And you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I'm curious, you mentioned that you had serious illness. Mm. And when you went through that, was that a moment that led to, the, to a shift in belief? Have you always felt the way that you're now articulating or was that a catalyst for a change in thinking? Yes, it did. Short answer is yes, it did impact my beliefs to a certain extent. I think it just deepened my beliefs and I think it just taught me to trust my instinct even more on the subjects that I'm really passionate about. And the reason I say that is if I think about my favorite TV show, Kendra, growing up was The Equalizer with Edward Woodward. Okay, I don't know it. You're going to have to give me a big <laughs> overview. <laughs> well, it's been made into a film with Denzel Washington and it's actually a really good film. I think there's like two films and I think it's about to be made into a Netflix series or something like that shortly. I think I've seen some promos for it, but the original, I think it was you know, shown in the 1980s. I'm going to tell everybody what my age is now. I'll show that up. But it was really about a man who had suffered deep losses. I think he'd lost his wife. I think this was his backstory. And he had committed his life now to making sure that 
if there was a good guy and a bad guy, that he was going to get on the side of the good guy and equal up the odds for the good guy. People would contact him under this alias via a newspaper or something, or he'd get these random calls saying, help, I'm blah, blah, blah. And then he would go in and just make sure that whatever help they needed that he would level the playing field. So, so I've always been really interested in equality, social justice. These sorts of things have been very important to me, probably informed through my Catholic education, upbringing, Catholic social teaching. Social justice is a big part of that. All of that has informed who I am. The next question that I want to ask you is to set the scene for people who are not totally aware of what emotional intelligence and adaptive intelligence is, because I know that that is such a key part of who you are. And I want to get into the questions that I sent you, but I also just think that situating ourselves within that conversation is a really valuable addition to this conversation. And I think to people's understandings of the words, but also of the concepts behind them. Would you give us a quick overview? Yes, I will give you the elevator, <laughs> not the pitch, obviously, but just some top tips around that. So look, it's about flexibility. That's really at the, the core of what emotional intelligence is. I like to think about it in, in three ways. I like to think about it as firstly, the ability to manage self. That's the first place. So it's about the ability to manage your own emotions. Why is that important? Because the way we think informs the way we feel informs the way we behave and it's so think feel do that's the model if you like so if we want to have positive influence with other people we need to be aware of our emotional temperature and ultimately the thoughts that are informing those emotions so that's the first thing self-management the second thing is relationship management so that is about an awareness of others specifically in a social situation that we are all able to sense the emotions of others. So that's the empathy piece. You can lock onto and understand and interpret other people's emotions. And also that you're able to influence other people's emotions. So that's the relationship management piece. And then the third piece is change management. And that is all about uh, flexibility. It's about stress tolerance and it's about managing uncertainty and managing ambiguity. And obviously there's a lot of that at the moment and emotional intelligence and adaptive intelligence for me is pretty much one in the same thing. You might also think about agile thinking again, very similar. These are all, you know, just different versions of pretty much the same thing. Um, and it's about being able to, I mean, I think there's a great phrase, either your emotions have you or you have your emotions. And when it comes to behavior, human behavior, either at work or whatever, in any setting, if you are not very conscious of your emotions and what's going on in the subconscious and bringing that into the conscious mind, you might show up in a way that you don't intend to. 
So yeah, that's that's really emotional intelligence or adaptive intelligence. But it really it really comes back to flexibility. Can you flex and bend to the unknowns in life? Are you willing to? I mean, going with the flow is probably not quite right, but it's just about not letting the external situations break you, but rather that you stretch like a rubber band. Oh, I love that. So fascinating because I was just having this conversation about the fact that I personally hate the word resilience and that I was Mm -hmm. looking for another word and flexibility is it. This idea of stretching and not breaking is so much better than this idea of like being so firm that you won't move. Like resilience to me feels like a title that people put on those who suffer. And Mm. I think the idea of switching that to something that celebrates flexibility and acknowledges the push and pull that is inherent in life is so, thank you. That's literally exactly the word that I've been looking for. Mm. And it goes back to this idea of behavior change, because that's what coaches do. Coaching really is about behavior change. But as we've said, behavior change can't happen in a vacuum. We're only going to change our behavior if the emotion is right. And before the emotion can be right, the thought has to be right. So a lot of people have got this wrong idea that actually, if I'm going to change the habits of a lifetime, it's down to willpower. I've got to just try really, really hard. And actually, what changing the habits of a lifetime is really about is the will to change the thought or the thinking that creates the emotion that is either keeping you locked into bad habits or that is going to actually unlock you from that place, from that state. So it's not about willpower, it's about the will to change the thought, the will to change the way you think. And when you think about those words, willpower versus the will to change, even those words themselves at their core are so different, right? When you think of the concept of power is dominating, is controlling. When you think of the word change, it's active, it's dynamic, and it it ties back to flexibility. Yes, yes. We are trapped by our thinking, by unhelpful thinking. And even our words reflect that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That is so interesting. Oh, you you blew my mind. (laughs) Thank you. Relationship management, the second piece that you touched on, feels like Mm -hmm. a nice thread to pull because this is a podcast about connection. Mm -hmm. How do you connect? These days on LinkedIn. (laughs) Seriously, that's where I hang out most of the time, unless I'm obviously doing delivery and doing my coaching. But I have to say, I sort of fell in love with LinkedIn about maybe four years ago. I think I I was actually one of the first people to join when I lived and worked in San Francisco many, many years ago. I was one of the first people to sign up. And at this point, LinkedIn was really, really small and no one really probably had heard of it on this side of the pond. And then I didn't really use it. And even as a recruiter, I was an agency side recruiter. And even as a recruiter, I didn't really use it to the extent that I use it now. But now I absolutely fully invested in LinkedIn and it's a very, very useful tool. 
What does meaningful connection look like? And have you found meaningful connection on LinkedIn? Oh boy, I have found the most amazing connections on LinkedIn. Just incredible people, incredible thinkers. I mean, I'm an introvert and... I mean, one of my favorite authors is Susan Cain. Her amazing book, Quiet, in some ways changed my life, actually, I think. And she posts some incredibly inspiring things. I spent a little bit of time posting about if introverts ruled the world, how would it look sort of thing. Um, So it's a really amazing playground for creativity. And one of the things that LinkedIn has really given me is this incredible community of Not everybody is like-minded. There are people who question, and this is all good, but a community of people who believe what I believe, to put it succinctly. And that is incredibly empowering. It, It just makes me feel hopeful and optimistic. I think it's so fascinating because there are people in both camps when it comes to the positives and negatives of the virtual world. And it sounds like you're firmly in the positive camp. And I think everyone agrees that there are positives and negatives. So I'll Mm -hmm. caveat that, but Mm. it is interesting. This idea of finding people who you connect with and who get you and feeling listened to also seeing yourself reflected in the writing and the stories of other people Is that what you feel you found on LinkedIn? Yes, but I think not in a way that limits the thinking, because I think I think you don't want to find yourself in an echo chamber. Is that a technical social term? Because I think that that's actually quite boring. You do want people there to challenge your thinking. And what I like about it is because you've got obviously you've got short form content with the post, then you've got long form content with the articles it really gives you an opportunity to kind of flex your muscles around ideas that you have and to get feedback on them. And not all the feedback is good. Absolutely, you've got to throw it out there and go, what do people think? I found it a really interesting intellectual exercise more than anything else. And it's really got me reconnected to writing, which has been really interesting because I used to write a lot when I was younger and then I sort of stopped writing for years and I've started writing again. I just love it. But yeah, the people connection is phenomenal. I mean, you can literally connect with anybody. This idea that you can connect with anyone. How do you do that on LinkedIn? I'm really curious because I think there is a fear sometimes of rejection or a, I don't know how to do it. And I just wondered if you had any tips for our listeners. I think you have to be authentic. In a word, authentic. (laughs) And just say what you want to say in a way that obviously is hopefully exciting and interesting and energetic. I think you've got to put yourself out there. You just got to do it. It's literally just do it. I love LinkedIn and actually seeing it sort of as you're describing it, I'm forming more of an opinion on it, but I think the opinion that I am going to articulate is the fact that because people are tied to their professional personas, it is a very different platform than other platforms. And there are probably positives and negatives to that. But I think the positive is that each post is much more thoughtful and that each comment and response is more thoughtful. People don't respond for the sake of responding. They are engaging with the content because they are 
tied to that response. It's very public. The main homepage shows how you're interacting with other people. You are exposing your beliefs in a professional setting. And I think that's great because it breaks down boundaries to conversations that weren't necessarily always had in a professional setting, but that are starting to permeate, I think, the professional world. It also means that you are exposed to a variety of views that are thought through. And there's a substance, I think, that I appreciate because I am learning about the the topic, but also about the person's perspective on that topic. Yes, exactly. No, I completely agree. What will connection look like in five years? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. It's really interesting, isn't it? If we think about connection in terms of networks and networks and connections are sort of the same thing, then I think that obviously the internet and broadband is connecting even more parts of the world. So it's just going to continue spreading to every part of the world. But I wonder if connection in, I don't know if five years is necessarily the time frame, but I mean, I do think that connection is going to determine employment in the future. I do think that connection is going to determine access to power in the future. I wonder if connection might underpin equity in the future. The reason I say that is because if I reflect on my journey as a business owner and somebody who's self-employed, for example, and I really think about what is it that has made me successful, it has all been about connections. My ability, Kendra, even to think about leaving PAYE, paid employment, is because I got to the point where I knew that I knew enough people. Plus, I'm very fortunate because I grew up in sales. I've learned that skill, and that's incredibly important if you're building a business. But if I think about the advice that I give to people, so people who are thinking about setting up on their own, leaving paid employment, doing their own thing, one of the questions I always, always ask them is, how good is your network? Where are your network? Can your network help you get work? And then if you think about the dispossessed, if you think about people who are very bright, let's think about this country. They're incredibly bright, undereducated, sat in communities, perhaps in disenfranchised parts of the country. Yes, they can get onto Google and do all sorts of free courses, and upskill themselves on their own. Yes, there is a certain amount that they can do from an attitudinal basis to have the courage and the kind of conviction to want to go places. But if they don't have a network, if they don't have those connections, then they are not going to succeed. So if I can play that back to you, I think what I'm hearing and understanding and, and I'm going to add in my own two cents also, actually, it won't be a direct playback, but <laughs> it feels as though connection has always been the way to power, but that has been as a result of nepotism, as a result of this never ending structure. Yes. And now with the advent of technology, with the changes in the 
ways that we connect and the ability for us to connect with people we might not have been able to previously. Connection mm-hmm. could be an equalizer. Why not? Yeah. But I think you I think you still need sponsorship. I think you still need advocacy from people who are on the inside of of a network. I actually thought about this the other day. I thought if one very well networked person got to mentor somebody who was sitting on the outside of a network, how quickly would that change the world? Yeah. That's the power of one, which I believe in, the power of one. Wow. Yeah, what a difference that could make. And what an opportunity that would be to create to our earlier conversation a more just society because there's an opportunity to have everyone at the table as well. Mm -hmm. You are, I would argue, on the inside of a network. You are very networked. How do you bring people in? I hope... (laughs) My intention is always to be as generous as possible in terms of accepting connections from people, offering help. If I think somebody needs help or if somebody asks for help, I will always say, of course, what can I do for you? And the other thing is when I was, this this is a conversation that has always stuck with me, Kendra. When I was starting out as an agency side recruiter, we had a brief to find a corporate comms person for an agency. And I remember my boss saying to me, why don't you ring these people and see if they can recommend people to you, which is a classic headhunter style uh, approach. We weren't headhunting. This wasn't a search. It's contingency recruitment. So we just wanted to get a whole bunch of candidates and push them to the client as quickly as possible. It's literally a race against all of the other contingent recruiters. So I got on the phone and I spoke to this lady. And as soon as she picked up the phone, I sensed that this was not going to go well, this call. She sounded very busy and preoccupied. So I I just said, oh, hope you don't mind me calling you. I'm a recruiter. We've got this brief in. Could you recommend somebody, anybody to me? And she turned around to me and said... Why would I recommend you a candidate that ultimately I would want to recruit for myself? And then she put the phone down on me. And this for me is typical of the mindset of people who think they've got to keep things all for themselves. Yeah, that scarcity mentality. Exactly, exactly. And that conversation has really stuck with me because I operate on the exact opposite side of that, which is I'm very open, I'm very transparent, and I will absolutely, if you want me to recommend people to you, even people who I may not necessarily know that well, I might say to people, take a look at that person or take a look at this person. I trust in abundance. This is one of your questions, actually, actually, Kendra, one of your, you know, uh, favorite sayings this isn't mine I, I I stole it from somebody far wiser than me and her name is Pam Boney and she is the founder at Tilt which is an amazing culture tool that I use but she said to me and again this sticks with me true confidence is trusting in abundance say that again true confidence is trusting other people in abundance. I sign up to that every single day. 
Yes. So it's a belief in the goodness of humans. It's a fundamental belief in other people's intention, that their intention is positive, that they have talent and potential. And who am I to stand in their way? Who am I to stop them from reaching their potential? So I absolutely will open doors for people if I'm asked to. Within reason, obviously, <laughs> within reason, you know, due diligence must be done. But in general, I will believe in the goodness of people. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I think it ties to the idea as well of like giving more than you take. But I think mm -hmm. when you give more than you take, you end up with way more than you would have had if you had only taken. Very true. Yes. Very, very, very true. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I love that. My next question was, what piece of advice do you pass on to others? But that's it. You just nailed that's it. it. <laughs> that is it. And you know what, Kendra? I think that th this, that is so relevant today, particularly yeah. to organizational leaders, where confidence in the past has been almost bordering on dominating behaviors, keeping information to yourself, power and control. No, what we want now in organizations is the exact opposite that of that. Yeah, I keep coming back to, and I need to watch this Denzel Washington film, but The Equalizer, you are totally The Equalizer. You have become the show that you loved child. <laughs> and I love that. And I think of our, my interactions with you, which were so giving on your end. You had no requirements to sit down and have a conversation with me, but you did. And I think that the way that you connect is inspiring because it is without expectation. It is with generosity and it is such a authentic connection. And I just, I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you. Of course. There are people who you, you, have a natural connection with. I think just an immediate chemistry. I think that is true. That is very true. Yes, I love that. And actually I would add that there are people who you don't have the immediate chemistry with, but sometimes it's important to foster that as well. Because what I've learned in recording this podcast, especially is that even people you would not expect to connect with, there are connections in there and they are challenging sometimes to who you are when, when it doesn't come naturally. Catherine, my final question for you is in true paper napkin fashion, who should we connect with next and what makes them a great connection? So the person that I'm going to recommend to you, Kendra, is somebody called Natasha Ellis Knight. And she is a, the UK marketing manager for an amazing business to business brand called Netigate. And what they do, they're based in Sweden. They've actually just got a brand new CEO. They are growing at an exponential rate and they offer customers all over the world a SaaS platform to gather customer experience and employee experience insights. And they have just the most phenomenal team of amazing human beings who are just a delight to work with. I got to know them through their CMO who invited me to speak at one of their events. And over the last few months, I have got to know a few different people in the business. And they are just always incredibly gracious and have just a very 
natural way of connecting with people that has integrity absolutely at the core of what they do. Just a really lovely bunch of people, really professional, really know their stuff. And Natasha Ellis-Knight, she helped me prepare and put this event together. I think you'll have a really, really interesting conversation with her. She's a Brit living in Sweden. And yeah, the company is really, really interesting. That sounds so wonderful. Thank you so much, Catherine. I look forward to connecting with Natasha. My pleasure. That's it for today's conversation. Thank you so much for listening and connecting with us. If you liked the podcast, please subscribe and review. We'll be back next week with another impactful connection. Until then, be kind.